the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. Today we're bringing you another awesome interview. On today's episode, I have kindness expert Houston Kraft. Houston is a professional speaker, author, curriculum designer, and kindness advocate who has spoken at over 600 schools, events, conferences, and companies around the world, and he's passionate about helping people create lives filled with compassion and love. In 2016, he co-founded Character Strong to help infuse character, empathy, and connection into education. And earlier this month, he published his first book, Deep Kindness, with Simon & Schuster Tiller Press to help share a new way to think and act in kindness. He believes in the power of story and practical exercise to shape a more loving world. And I couldn't be more excited to talk about some of these things with Houston. Houston, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for the nice intro. Always a lot of fun doing those intros. It gets me hyped because I'm like reading all the cool things about my guests. So I get a little bit more excited going into the next questions. Um, Houston, man, how'd you get to where you are today? Like what's your story and the short version, obviously. Yeah, uh, I know kindness expert is a little bit of a, a funky title, not on on the most business cards, I guess. But I've been called much worse for what that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah, um, as have I, which is why we get to make our own business cards. How nice yeah. is that? Um, no, I my roommate and best friend Esteban says that uh, I, I gave someone a hug in middle school and thought to myself, I can monetize that, which is a, a funny. <laughs> premise to what the yeah, very interesting trajectory of my career. No, I I grew up really lucky, man, with with parents that were incredibly supportive and with a ton of role models, both educators and friends in my life. Um, and I really had a pretty transformative experience in high school, uh, of all places, at a, a leadership camp during the summer, where to make a long story as short as possible, uh, I was introduced to a paradigm of of what it meant to be a leader in the world. And that it had very little to do with position or a title uh, and most everything to do with uh, my willingness um, to show up and, and be kind or generous to people, uh, even or especially with people that I don't necessarily like or agree with. And that's how we build influence. And that's how we cultivate uh, a sense of authority. That's how we earn a sense of authority with people is by sacrificing and, and, and being generous with them. Yeah. And I went back to school my senior year with a really clear, different way of looking at things and started a club about kindness in high school, started a similar club in college. And I just realized that the value and gift of protecting time in my life to talk about and really practice this thing that I sort of always knew was important, right? We all want connection and acceptance and belonging, but we don't always allocate the time to make it real. So high school and college shaped like the experience of that. And coming out of college, I was like, let's build a career around this. What does it look like to tell stories? What does it look like to build workshops and trainings? And, and now ultimately my work is, is curriculum, right? Changing how we do education to teach what we would say is the other half of the whole child, right? Not just the academics, but the empathy, the perspective taking, the compassion, the resilience, the things required to not only live a quote unquote successful life, but a fulfilled one too. Yeah. To make a difference in the world. Um, Houston, where'd you go to, you know, middle school, high school, or part of the country? Yeah, I was born in Maine. I moved across the country when I was pretty little, like four. I grew up mostly in Seattle. And I went back to college in Maine. 
and now I'm in LA. So I'm, I'm, I've done three of the four points. I'm just missing yours, Jared. You're down in Florida. You're holding down the fort for me. Basically, if you mix Maine with California, you might have Northeast Florida. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's so interesting. How, how do you, how did you go from, you know, being a, a kindness enthusiast and a curriculum builder throughout, you know, high school and, and being passionate about it in college to transitioning to speaking at 600 schools, events, conferences. Um, did you do a TED talk as well or something? I've done a TEDx, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, a lot of a lot of platforms there. How did you transition into that? I I I think I, I don't want to lean on this too hard, but that like leader camp experience um, coming out of college, I knew I wanted to, so my background was like student leadership, student government uh, and theater. So storytelling was important to me and the concepts around effective, thoughtful servant leadership were important to me. And I was like, where do those things intersect? Uh, I knew I didn't want to be a politician because I'd taken enough political science classes in college to be like, this is not for me. Sure. And I knew I wasn't going to make it in the acting world, partially because I'd given it a little bit of a shot and partially just because I knew I wasn't a very good actor. <laughs> uh, but I, I love being on stage and sharing stories because right, a great story, whether it's in a song or a book or in a film, a great story intersects with yours. And in that intersection, we experience change. You know, when I see myself in the story, I, I, can, I can understand how it might change me too. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to figure out how to do that. So literally right out of college, um, a lot of the relationships I had from camp were the first people that I went to to say, hey, can I like come talk to your class? Can I come talk to your conference you're putting on, even if it's just like 50 kids? Um, and most of those people ended up being the people that then hired me to come back and do their assembly or the statewide conference or so on and so forth. So yeah, that first year was like 13 talks. And then it was 35. And then the next year was 70. And then the year after that was 130. And, and then we, uh, yeah, we had uh, momentum. Wow. That's really cool, man. I think it kind of speaks volumes to uh, humble beginnings and just trying to get your reps in in the early stages of whatever people are trying to do. Um, yeah. If you want to be humbled, uh, tell stories in front of middle schoolers. That is yeah, yeah, one pathway to get there. I've done, um, you know, I obviously I own a company called Superfit Foods, and it's a healthy meal prep company uh, that services you know nationwide. But our primary focus is Northeast Florida, and I've talked to a handful of um, young people, and it's quite a <laughs> it's quite a challenge to do nutrition seminars with young people. So you got to like try to make it as interesting as possible. Mm -hmm. um, make we'll it do another podcast on that. That'll be a different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll revisit that. So Houston, what, what does character strong do specifically? I mean, I know that it's an education um, platform or curriculum company, but like what, what exactly is, does it do? Does it, is it nonprofit? Does it make money? How does that work? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, uh, it's for profit um, for purpose. We do, um, curriculum and trainings for schools. So the, I suppose the paradigm or at least the belief, the reason I'm passionate about it is I think education is the number one pathway to a better world. Right? It's, the, it's the long play. The things that we teach today are the behaviors and the culture that we experience tomorrow. So uh, the goal is to provide tools for campuses, schools, districts to teach the things that live beneath behaviors. That's kind of how I think about it. You know, just about every school I've ever been to wants their kids to be kind. 
any family member ever talked to wants their kids to be kind. Uh, they want our staff to be kind. And my argument is that behavior is only possible because of internal skills that live beneath them. So kindness is a great example. Obviously, it's one I talk about most relentlessly, but it's like, if I'm going to be kind to someone, think about all the things that have to, think about the tools that I need in my toolbox to show up in a moment, especially in one that's that's tougher, right? Like with a person I don't agree with. A moment, right? Look at our country, a moment of political divisiveness. This is a time where kindness can shine, but it's also a time where compassion is really hard. Yeah. So what do I need? I need emotional regulation. Why? Because when I'm feeling stressed or angry or resentful, kindness gets a lot harder, right? Most of us tend, especially when we're feeling big feelings, to act on how we feel instead of in alignment with like maybe who we ideally want to be. Yeah. We need empathy, right? The, the skill set of like taking on someone's perspective, of reaching into their experience, imagining yourself in their history, in their context, in their culture, which is actually a lot harder than sometimes we make that sound. And uh, it requires a tremendous amount of listening, which is a whole nother skill set we could get into. And so I don't need to unpack the whole toolbox, but you can yeah. see like, if I don't have those things, then the moments of consequence, yeah, we all want to behave kind, but if I don't have the right tool to fix the situation or help the situation, I can want it, but I, I don't know how to do it. Uh, so that's why we believe like curriculum and the equipping of educators to teach these things in a thoughtful, systematic way. That's just my, that's my bet on how I want to make an impact on the world. Got it. So character strong gets hired out and they pay a, a price to have you come in and work with their teachers and staff. And yeah. From, from a practical lens, we have an online curriculum okay. that a school would pay for the curriculum, access to the curriculum. And then we have trainings, right? We, we train educators. Our goal is that we're not the ones directly teaching students, although I've done that for many years along the way. Uh, my goal is to release that reins and, and put it in the hands of educators because ultimately that relationship, the teacher-student relationship, is one of the most important things to build to increase student engagement, right? Yeah. So what tools can we provide educators to do that? So we train educators. That's one way. And get paid to train educators and host trainings and conferences. And then we give them a tool to say, hey, go do this. Implement this uh, because we think it's going to help. That's awesome. I love that, man. And I think practically... Uh, it creates the, a greater likelihood of long-term impact versus you going and speaking at these schools once in a while, right? You yeah. empower the teachers who are speaking to these kids every single day. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't it's the five-day diet versus the five-year intentional life change. Yeah. Sure. Repetition is the key to fluency. Absolutely. So what, what is the difference between being nice and being kind? Uh, a critical one if we're going to change the world in any meaningful way. Uh, I was humbled into this paradigm shift in my own life. I was speaking at a school in Texas, and this kid came up after the assembly was over, and uh, he was a senior, and he had a little bit of like a swagger about him that made me feel like he hadn't taken my presentation seriously, which I get. Like high school, kids are already on the precipice of cynicism, you know? And he came up, he goes, hey, man, I just want to let you know that after listening to you today, I realized I'm a nice person, which I thought he was like throwing a jab, like a little bit, just like, yeah, like I'm already good. I'm like, cool, man. Good for you. Yeah. Thank, you. Like, thank you for reminding me I'm nice. <laughs> yeah, cool. We were already there. You didn't need me. Uh, and he goes, no, you don't get it. I, I'm, I think I'm nice, but I'm not kind. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I think everyone in my school would say that they're kind, which is why a lot of the kids here today, like just dismissed you. Like, okay, good reminder. 
And he goes, they say they're kind, but I think they're actually nice. He goes, the way you talked about kindness today, like to me, niceness is reactive. That was the word he used. He goes like, if I see someone drop their things, I might go and help. But otherwise it's like, I'll be nice to you if I like you, if I agree with you, right? If we're on the same team with each other, because but kindness is proactive. It means that I'm, I'm making time to help you. It means that before something bad happens to you, I'm trying to uplift you or encourage you. Because sometimes it means I'm showing up and respecting you or being generous towards you, even if we don't agree. And this senior kid, I don't think he intended to get vulnerable, but like he gets emotional. He's, he's like, I realize the way you talked about it, kindness requires work. And he goes, I think I got a lot of work to do. Mm. And I was like, yeah, man, me too. And that's kind of the point is like kindness there's this weird gap in our, our culture, I think, between skills and values where, where we talk about skills as these like hard-earned things. Got to get the reps in, got to get the degree, got to go through the program. But I would never fix the chain on my bike and be like, I'm an engineer. Yeah. And yet for some of us, like we'll do like one good thing for a family member or we'll have like a big community service day that we do once a year. It's part of like who we are. But really, it's only one or two days at 365, and we're like, I'm a kind person. I'm like, no, like, we did a kind thing. Uh, but my friend Dexter Davis has a great quote. He goes, we're not human beings, we're human becomings. Which means you don't get to just be a thing simply because you want it, because you believe in it, uh, or just because you did a one-off situation. Like, much like any other skill in our life, kindness requires repetition, discipline, consistency over time if you're actually going to become that thing in your life. And so kindness to me is that, that humble recognition that we have a lot of work to do and then the willingness and the discipline to actually put in the work over time. That's really good stuff, man. Houston, in your opinion, what does kindness have to do with, with business and leadership? I, well, I think it has to do with, if we were to zoom out just like one notch, I think when we talk about business and, and, and leadership, I think we got to talk about like success. What does success mean? Uh, how do we orient ourselves in the world when we like have a definition of success? Right? So much of our life, when you unpack it, is dictated by what we measure as successful. For example, my friend Kyle Sheely says, if he measures success by the number of nights he comes home smelling like campfire. I'm like, that is a really cool, non-traditional metric of success and something like in many ways he actually keeps track of. And I'm like, what are the non-traditional metrics that I hold? And if I can't think of any, am I just beholden to the metrics that culture has given me, right? So like success looks like the number of accounts you book or how much money you make or where you live, like all the things that are traditional measures. And to me, if we, like we could talk about why kindness is a part of, of business or leadership, or like there's even the more philosophical approach of like, why would we not make kindness a metric of success? And what does that actually functionally look like? So for us, organizationally, a character strong, we believe, obviously it's like a part of what we teach. So we better be living it in some capacity, but from just like a, like we're still a business, you know, and we, we have numbers to meet and we have goals that we're working towards and we're working really hard and we have really long to-do lists. But internally at Character Strong, we have a practice where every day we write out our work goals, especially in this remote world. Like everyone knows what everyone in the company is doing, even if it's just five bullets for the day. And above those work goals, we have a one item, what we call our to-be list. We have the to-do lists and the who I want to be lists. And we write one word. Uh, so maybe it's kind, for example, but it could also be grateful, could be present, 
could be encouraging, uh, it could be generous. And then the practice that every day when we set those work goals, not only from a productivity standpoint, the practice is then taking that one abstract, like who I want to be, and just saying, what's one five to 10, maybe it's a 20 minute thing that I'm going to do that day to live into it. And it's a healthy exercise just because it, first of all, makes you think about what these things mean in practice in your life. You write it down so you create some group accountability. And then we have accountability partners in the organization. So mine is a, a, a woman on our team named Julia. We check in. How's your to-be list item going? And then on our weekly team meeting, we met the first thing we do is we share good news and whether or not we're on track or off track with our to-be list items. So on the high level, we could talk about like, why would we not make that important if we say we believe in it in other parts of our life? Why, we, why would we not weave it into this thing that for most of us, we'll spend most of our life doing, which is work. Mm -hmm. The more practical side, you can get into like how kindness increases productivity, engagement, connection, which is all kinds of research to support that, which makes sense. When I'm in an environment where I feel safe, belonging, connected, it's going to increase my productivity and my engagement with my work. It's not the only thing that does it, but it's a piece of the puzzle. One of my favorite stories uh, is about the oil rig. Uh, it's called Ursa. That, you know, in oil rigs, like there is huge mortality rates and, and safety issues. And one of the things that they did when Exxon was building this new oil rig in the Gulf, they hired some outside consultants around leadership to say, hey, can you come in and help make sure that this huge project, it was like four times bigger than they've ever built before, which meant there was four times more liability and, and safety issues. So they had this like eccentric French woman to come in and do vulnerability and empathy coaching with like sort of these gruff oil rig folks. And to make a, a fairly long narrative as short as I can, at the end of all of this um, processing, what they found was that productivity increased by over 80% and safety incidences dropped by like 70%. Why is that? Well, what they discovered was that the culture organizationally was one where people felt like they couldn't ask for help because it was weak, because they were fearful of how people would respond. And so in a industry where the risk of not asking for help is sometimes literally death, they were experiencing people dying because there wasn't that sense of kindness. There wasn't that sense of openness, that sense of vulnerability organizationally. Now, the stakes in other people's campuses or organizations or, or groups might be a little bit lower, but I would say that the same thing holds true. When you cultivate that sense of kindness, uh, you open up new lanes that allow for vulnerability connection and all the things that we know make work not only worthwhile, but more productive. Yeah. But the practical and the philosophical. I got a lot of reasons. Yeah, I appreciate that. So on the practical way, we could say that kindness uh, saves lives and potentially increases profitability which is always how, how to ring a leader's bell in the corporate <laughs> world. Um, I know I've read that story. Where did you, do you recall where you read that story or heard that story? Yeah. One of my favorite podcasts, Invisibilia uh, by NPR, the whole premise of the podcast was the invisible things that control our lives. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's great. And they, they talk about the power of, of uh, yeah. Vulnerability of connection. Yeah. I may have, I listened to, how I built this and hidden brain. So maybe they just referenced it at some point. It's a good case study for sure. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Um, what's an example of a leader that you would consider kind, someone that, you know, the audience of this podcast may recognize. 
Um, someone that they may recognize. Yeah, uh, level leader I, that you know. Yeah, we would know about. Sure. Um, I, I mean, there's like some some cool stories that came out of Seattle a few years ago that talked about the CEO that made sure that everyone had a, a living wage and just like the empathy that they and the productivity that went up as a result of I think like the baseline salary was seventy five thousand no matter what role they were in the company. So you can talk about it from that level. Uh, you could also zoom into some of the other CEOs uh, or, or leaders of organizations like a, a Brene Brown, uh, who has built an incredible industry uh, and expertise for herself and a whole team that works around her, around the premises of empathy and connection. And they role model a lot of these things organizationally. Um, I am a self-proclaimed somewhat not of a business person. So like I, I'm an educator, I feel like by trade in a lot of ways. Uh, so we pay attention to what other people do. And, um, but, but I'm not like the person who's well-versed in being like, this CEO is the person I'm going after. Like, that's what I want to be. Yeah. Who comes to mind for you? I, I, I need to get this data in my, my own personal brain. You know, um, I just read his book, Ride of a Lifetime. Uh, Bob Iger, the former CEO of Disney, and yeah. I don't know him from Adam personally, right? So I only know what's in this uh, memoir. But um, considering some of the challenges that he was presented as a CEO of Disney, um, I I would say that he, from the stories that I read, which I think check out uh, in, in any reference you can make, um, he, he seems to be pretty kind. So I would say him, you know, because you've definitely got unkind leaders. Um, that do some great things, um, accomplish massive feats, right? Like yeah. I, I don't know of Jeff Bezos being connected to anything kind, uh, that I personally know about. We know Steve jobs had kind of an edge to him. Um, yeah. no frills kind of guy. So, uh, but again, I don't know any of these people personally, but from a high level, I would say Bob Iger from the stories that I've read seems like a really kind guy, kind leader. Um, yeah, no, I, my favorite author is this guy named James Hunter, who, who writes about servant leadership and, and does workshops with organizations and businesses, Fortune 500s. And uh, we were actually just talking about this yesterday as a team. He said, you know, he's consulted with some of the biggest organizations in the world. And in his experience, what he would just say are some of the most kind, effective servant leaders. He goes, you'll never know their names. Yeah. Because that's what it looks like in practice to be the sort of leader that is humble, hungry, compassionate. Like you never will know who they are, but they're still doing meaningful work in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Challenges my ego in a healthy way, I think. Which is always good. Um, now, if someone made a commitment to being more kind, how could they measure their progress? Yeah, I, I think... Uh, we get a, a lot of opportunity to self-determine much like we do with success in our, our business life. We get to determine like what that looks like. What is the ROI you're looking for in something like kindness? You know, what is the metric of success? Is it just consistency? Example, I give a lot, like my mom wrote me a note in my lunchbox every day for kindergarten through 12th grade. Took her two minutes a day, but in the aggregate over time, like that was one of the most meaningful actions of love of my life. So sometimes it's just about showing up, you know, like the much like any other wellness pursuit in our life. Sometimes it's just like getting to the starting line. It's getting to the gym. Uh, 
it's it's not buying that thing at the store. And so sometimes it's just like, did I make two minutes a day of this thing that I wanted to do? Consistency, I think, is probably the biggest hallmark of progress when it comes to something like compassion or kindness. But I think the you know the return on investment when it comes to something like uh, empathy or, or compassion is is just always going to probably be the richness of your relationships. The the investments that we make into other people come back in a whole lot of different ways. I feel like my mom, one of my personal kindness heroes, you know, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer four years ago. And I don't know if I've ever seen someone have so many people want to show up for her in this moment of hurt. Um, it was profound and, and beautiful and humbling to watch because I'd watched my mom invest in so many humans along the way that as soon as she experienced need, she had an overwhelming amount of help. And those are the incalculables, right? Like those are the things you can't predict that you can't know about that uh, I think just through consistency, uh, those, those are the rewards that we get to reap. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of a, a self-identifier. Is it the number of days in a row? Is it how much time I'm spending on this per day? Is it the number of text messages I get back that say, you have no idea how much I just needed this? All those things can be wins depending on how you look at it. Okay. Um, in a world where we commonly say the nice guy finishes last, do you think that applies to the kind guy as well? <laughs> uh, no. I think that the kind person, um, you know, I think the narrative around nice is that niceness is just letting people do whatever you want. It's like pleasant, it's passive. And everything that I've learned about kindness shows that kindness actually has a real tenacity to it, a real determination, a fierceness in the face of, of obstacle. Uh, it doesn't acquiesce when someone says, I need you to do this or, or, or I want you to do this. Uh, or, or is even critical of you, like kindness draws really hard boundaries. And I think sometimes the narrative around niceness, especially in the, you know, old adage that nice guys finish last happens because like that niceness becomes passive. It's just like, whatever you want, whatever you want. And no one wants to be with someone that's a whatever you want her because then there's no contrast. Yeah. It's uninteresting. It's just like dating yourself with someone else you have to pay for. Right. So it's like, you need someone who's willing to go to bat for the things they care about. And that sort of tenacious kindness um, is something that I think finishes first quite often. That's great. I think if we were to dig a little bit into the practical implications of implementing kindness into your day-to-day, -day, especially organizationally as a leader, there could, there could potentially be a dark side to it. And I'll give you an example of what I'm thinking. Um, you run a company, you've, you've got a bottom line. Um, you have a responsibility to your employees, clients, and potentially stakeholders to turn a profit and to grow a business. And in doing so from time to time, you have to let people go. You have to make hard decisions. Would you say that that's an act of kindness to do what's best for the company because it's what's best for everybody, except for maybe that one person in the short term? Uh, yes. And I think that's a great qualifier in the short term at the end there, right? One of the um, great articles I've read recently and sort of stepping into what feels like a new role for me over the past four years. You know, Character Strong is fairly young, but we've grown from two people to 15 in just a few years and doubling year over year. And it's a fast growing, small organization it has no VC back or anything like that. We're just passionate and cruising and growing. And we've had to learn a lot about being like in the title of a CEO. <laughs> it's 
Uh, and we've had to let people go and we've had to have had people resign along the way. And um, that's really hard on an emotional level. And one of the best articles that my co-founder sent me um, a few years back was uh, an article by, um, I forget who it was, but they said the biggest mistake that they made in their career was not firing more people because it's the most loving thing that you can do. Because when someone's not in the right seat, when someone's swimming an uphill battle, allowing them to sit in that friction and that anxiety and that stress and that overwhelm with ultimately like through experience and, and research with little chance of them being able to turn the tide. Right? If someone really is in a position where they don't necessarily get what their work is, or they don't want it, or even have the capacity to do it, then they're going to suffer. <laughs> and organizationally, you're going to suffer too. Yeah. But one of the paradigm shifts I just read that um, I loved a lot, even though it was, it was a hard transition for me as a kind guy, was that most businesses shouldn't operate like a family, but more like a team. Mm. Hastings book, Netflix. Yeah, it's uh, really and, good. Yeah, I talked about like teams are the ones like you're you're aiming to win something, not just sing kumbaya all the time. It doesn't mean you can't be kind to each other, but in a team, it's expected that people are going to come in out of positions to have the best shot at winning. So if we can take the ego out of it, and I recognize that I'm not the best person in the team to help us win, and I really care about what the winning is, whatever that looks like in your organization then that transition in teammates should not only be um, expected, but in some ways encouraged. And so um, that's how I've reframed some of that stuff and recognized that for all the people that have come and gone out of the organization so far, that is in the best interest of everyone, which like, that's what kindness is, is identifying needs and meeting them. Yeah. So kindness can be hurtful for others, but in operating in the best interest of the, the greater good, of the larger amount of people, I guess maybe. That, <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's also like it's freeing that person up in the moment from from the pain. Like it might hurt because of the, the egoic side of being let go, but it it doesn't hurt in the sense of like this was not good for you or me. And so ultimately, they're like we're gonna come on the far side of this. And when you when the ego's done being bruised, we might breathe and be like, oh, thank God, I'm this is this is actually way better uh yeah and so i don't necessarily think it's like for the greater good quote unquote i think it is for the person good as well just might not feel it in the moment and i'll be honest houston the longer you do this the more you're going to realize that some people never recognize that um yeah. so at some point you will be the bad guy even though you're like i promise this is the best thing um in your opinion aside from kindness what do you think makes the best or a good leader you know we're talking about character traits here so one to three character traits what do you look for in a leader uh humility probably at the top of that list willingness to say that they're wrong the willingness to uh, have blind spots identified uh and, and humility also implies that we're going to work to close those blind spots you know respond to feedback not just receive it um i would put humility at the top um Beneath that, I would probably put honesty, which goes in line with what we're talking about, uh, which is that like willingness to have tough conversations, the willingness to be perceived as a bad guy. And, and you know, there's the, the famous quote around like people who say that they're, they're just brutally honest are typically more brutal than they are honest. And there's a way to be honest in a firm but loving way that says this is what needs to happen 
And it's not that I love you less. It's that this is what I know is best for the situation. Um, and I am so grateful that my co-founder is really effective at that, like cares so deeply about the work and is, and is willing to have those tough conversations. That's you know, the whole tough and tender thing. And some people live fully in the tough side, which doesn't really help anyone can come across as a jerk and people live fully on the tender side, which is like, let's just let everyone do whatever they need. And that doesn't help anyone either. So it's that fine balance. So yeah, at the top of that list, humility and honesty alongside kindness. I love it. What advice, um, and we're going to wrap up here shortly. So these are sort of um, rapid fire questions, but picturing where you want to be in 10 years from now, Houston, and the person that you want to become, imagine that person for a moment. What advice do you think that person would give you today or in this chapter or season of your life? Uh, the article that I think about with frustrating regularity is from the Wall Street Journal. It says, are you as busy as you think? It says, what if you're never again allowed to say, I don't have time? What if you had to say, this is not my priority? And I think the advice 10 years from now, if I could give it back to myself would be protect time for those things that are most important. Protect time for the things that you're good at and not the things that uh, drain you. It's all about protecting time to put yourself in the seat of the highest good, not only for yourself, but for the organization you're serving. I love that, man. What, uh, who's your favorite person right now to follow on social media? On social media? Um, who's, who's generating hope? in the world. I got two that come to mind right away. My friend Connie, uh, AKA Milk, M-I-L-C-K. Um, she's a singer, artist, activist. She's awesome. She's super passionate and thoughtful. Um, and then the other one would be uh, Brad Montague, who helped create Kid President. Um, those videos that went viral for a while and he's just like this creative genius that um, is so generous and joyful. Um, and then uh, Doreen McKesson, who um, I went to college with and um, his, his like passion is around ending police brutality and his, his solution brain um, is so practical and so passionate. And I just like love watching him do hard work with hope. Okay. That was what, three. That wasn't your question, but I did it anyways. I'll take three. Three is better than one. Um, what are your three favorite books, or I guess at least three books that you recommend to others the most? Uh, among the top of that list would be On Being Nice by the School of Life, which I love that organization as a general note. They have a couple of books that they've that they write together. Um, and I think it's like quite philosophically brilliant. Um, the second one, uh, The Servant by James Hunter. It's like a practical, in many ways, allegory of servant leadership and practice, which I, I love that framework. And uh, I mean, I suppose if I have any pride in myself, it's probably Deep Kindness, the one that I just wrote. Yeah, man. Tell us a little bit about deep kindness. Yeah, it's uh, it's after ten years of thinking and talking about kindness, I wanted to distill my thoughts and and share with the world a framework for a new way to think about kindness because I think the way we think about things shape the way we act with them. 
And I would argue that we need a very uh, um, strong overhaul of the way that we think about kindness in our culture if we're going to close the gap in our world between what we say is important and what we actually do for each other. Love it. I'm looking forward to uh, receiving mine. Um, for whatever reason, it's Amazon has not arrived yet. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. And Jeff a note. Yeah, we'll have some. I mean, I got the ebook and stuff like that, but I, I like physical copies just for, you know, when you meet somebody who's going through something and you're like, you know what? I have a book for you. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's great, man. Uh, what is your best purchase you've made in under a hundred dollars most recently? I'm standing on it. It's, uh, it's one of those Rocky. I like, I operated a standing desk in this remote world. It's one of those like Rocky things that has little balls underneath your feet and has a little massage thing in the middle. Uh, if you look up like foot rocker or like standing desk rocker on whatever, okay. you'll find one of them, but, uh, it's changed the game. I like standing and, and doing stuff like this and uh, I'm a fidgeter and my feet get tired. So I like, I'm moving around all day on this like, little surfboard. I love it. Last one, man. If you could put anything and I got this from Tim Ferriss, so I got to give him credit, but if you could put anything on the, on a big billboard over the busiest intersection, you know, what would it say? I it's not about you. Ouch. But very <laughs> as always. Houston, man, I've had a great time talking about your book, Deep Kindness, talking about the act of being kind, the paradigm shift behind the way we should look at kindness. Um, I really appreciate you being on the show today, man, how can people find you? What's the best platform for them to look for you? I'm on all the things besides uh, determinedly TikTok. So if you're looking for me, it's just Houston, like the city craft with a K, like cheese. Um, so you can find me on anywhere. I'm most active on Instagram. That's where I'm posting things about practical kindness if you're interested. Awesome. And I imagine the book Deep Kindness is for sale anywhere they can buy books, right? Truth or deepkindness.com if you want it all in one spot. Awesome, brother. Well, again, I really appreciate you being on the episode. Uh, can't wait for this to air and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jared.